Hey, take your Bible, look back to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, we come to that section on wisdom and then worldly or heavenly. And we're on part two, we'll finish it up next week. But let me go ahead and look there as, you, as you're turning. We'll be looking at 3, 13 through 18. And we're asking the question, why is there in so many places disorder and strife and sometimes our most precious relationships? Why does the home at times or the workplace or church, rather than being a haven of peace and rest, look like a battlefield at times with landmines set all around it? There are many people who have commented this in the, in the course of church history. I'm thinking of John Flavel, the great Puritan, who, who said this. He said, what? He said, at peace with the Father and at war with His children, it cannot be. Well said. Bible teacher John MacArthur said this, that few things demoralize discourage and weaken a church as much as bickering, backbiting, and fighting among its members. He said, because of quarreling, the father is dishonored. The son is disgraced. His people are demoralized and discredited, and the world is turned off and confirmed in unbelief. Fractured fellowship, he said, robs Christians of joy and effectiveness, robs God of glory, robs the world of a true testimony of the gospel. And he said, boy, that's a high price for an ego trip. Well said. Howard Hendricks, great man of God that taught for many years at Dallas Seminary, I thought captured it in a little bit of a word picture. He said, many of us in the church are like porcupines. He said, trying to huddle together on a bitter, cold night to keep warm with each other, but we continually poke and hurt each other the closer we get. It's true, isn't it? Sometimes the greater the proximity, the greater the hurt. And so in places where we desire to find harmony, we at times can find disorder, and the question would be, why? And so as we open our Bible to James chapter 3, we want to discuss two wisdoms, if you will, the world's and heavenly wisdom that produce entirely two different outcomes. And the question that you have as a believer this morning is, which wisdom do you possess? What wisdom is in your home? Is it the world's wisdom or is it heavenly wisdom? As you think of your relationships in this body, or as you think of your relationships in your family, or as you think of extended relationships in family on the outside, is it God's wisdom or is it the world's wisdom? And much as we've been going through the book of James, it's test of faith, isn't it? There's a test. Do you have the real thing? You say you have faith, but you can't really have faith if you don't meet your brother's need that you meet and so forth, if you just tell him to be warm and be filled. You can't really say to have the real faith if your tongue out of its mouth comes both blessing and cursing. And so he's arguing, is he not for a proper response? There's a godly response. There's an earthly response and no clearer than in this subject of wisdom. 
So our faith here in 3.13, actually all the way down through 4.3, is tested in relationship to wisdom. Now, let me read the passage and then we'll dive in. James says, follow with me as I read from the ESV in 3.13, Who is wise and understanding at Grace Church of the Valley? But I mean, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambitions in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And then just one more. What causes quarrels and conflicts, or what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? There we can stop right there. Now, we began looking last week, just this whole section, navigating at around three insights that enable us to discern God's wisdom that is needed for a living faith. I mean, we need that wisdom. How can we understand it? We begin last week, number one, with the concept of wisdom. The concept and the challenge of wisdom. It's stated right there in verse 13, and he opens it with a rhetorical question. He asked that question. You see it there in verse 13. Who is wise? And we just stopped for a moment, and we just discussed what wisdom is. There's much to say there biblically, but simply the Greek word is sophos, And wisdom, when he's asking if you have it in the context of relationships, wisdom is the skill. Here's just the best way to grab it. It's the skill of righteous living. It is the skill of applying truth to life circumstances. And so we said biblically in the in the in the scripture and certainly in the Old Testament, it's not just knowledge, it's partly knowledge, but it's the skill of applying that knowledge to life's circumstance. So he says, which of you at Grace Church of the Valley is wise? And then he mentions that word there under this concept of wisdom, who who is understanding. And, And we said that that word understanding isn't redundant there. It speaks of one having the knowledge of an expert. We maybe in our own day would use the word a specialist. So here is somebody who's wise, somebody who has understanding. They are a specialist in applying biblical knowledge to practical situations. Now, what James said is that this wisdom that comes down from above is the fruit of a lifestyle, right? It's the fruit here, not of a methodology or some kind of psychoanalysis. Look what he said. He said, who among you is wise and understanding? He said, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So here for James, it comes out in one's lifestyle as we've been seeing all along. It's it's our deeds, okay? But then he says those deeds, verse 
13 are to be carried out in a like, it says there, of the meekness of wisdom. We talked last week, just to touch on it, that it's not passivity. What is meekness? Well, if you're going to have the right relationships, you're going to have it by your lifestyle and with a heart attitude of meekness. And we said meekness is not uh, passivity. It is not timidity. In fact, the dictionary, the English dictionary, gives a contrary uh, meaning to what the, the word means here. The, the dictionary would say that someone who is meek is someone who is deficient in courage. That's, that's not what James is driving at. Meekness, do you remember that we said last week, in your relationships is power under control. That's what meekness is. See, the meek man, the meek husband, the, the meek employee, the, the meek woman does not feel a need to contend for his or her rights. Meekness is this. It is a humility before God and a lack of pride before others. That's what meekness is. And I shared some examples last week. I'm thinking this week of Joseph. I think he was meek. Of course, you remember Joseph. We don't have to turn there, but he was obviously mistreated by his brothers. He was sold as a slave. And not only was he just sold as a slave, they wanted to take his life, save for one brother who saved his life. So he was sold. He was put into prison. And you remember that God blessed Joseph. And when the famine came, you remember that his brothers showed up begging for food. And the question that I would ask you is, what would you have done if you were Joseph? See, Joseph had the power to do anything he wished. He had certainly, in that moment, in that time frame, power over them, but his power was under control. That's meekness. And of course, we said that the greatest example of meekness was the Lord Jesus Christ. Joseph was meek, and we looked at some of those other examples, but Christ was meek. He said in Matthew eleven twenty nine, for I am gentle, that's our word, I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, we said and noted that biblically speaking, meekness, according to Galatians five twenty three, is a fruit of the what? It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you're walking in the Spirit, and the Spirit's controlling you, you will be meek. Now, this type of meekness is put on display in our relationships. I'm just going to ask you as we dive into the truth, how would you describe your relationships? You might even ask, how do I even know if I'm a wise man? How do I really know if I'm a wise woman? And what James does after that concept and challenge of wisdom, he compares and contrasts two types of wisdom. One is worldly, that's 14 through 16, and the other one is heavenly. But let's look secondly here at the confusion, at the characterization and the confusion of worldly wisdom. Look what the text says. Look back in verse um, 14. He says, but, he says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And you'll notice that he says in verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. So he begins here to characterize worldly wisdom. 
and it's characterized by five negative qualities. Let me just touch on them. They're revealed in the scripture because he's putting us to test and he's putting you to test in your relationships. But the characterization of worldly wisdom, and and by the way, I just want to remind you, he's saying this to us. He's not preaching this to an unbelieving world. James is giving this by the Spirit of God to those who are part of the flock of God. So when when we walk through these, we certainly don't want to have these manifested in our life, but nevertheless, if the shoe fits, wear it. So he says, listen, do you have wisdom from above or are you characterized by worldly wisdom? Here's the characterization. Look at the first mark there. There's five of them. He says, but if you have, and he mentions this ideal of bitter jealousy, bitter jealousy, that word jealousy, just the Greek word uh, zealous, we get our English word zeal from that, but that word jealousy means to boil. It means to to bubble up. I I mean, I think we can kind of picture that in our mind. And zeal, or here, jealousy, can either have a good sense or it can have a bad sense depending on the context, context, right? In other words, jealousy is not all wrong, is it? If I take you back in the Old Testament, one of the attributes of God is that God is a what? He's a jealous God. He has a zeal, if you will, for His glory. I think of a guy in the Old Testament, Phineas. Remember when those two people in impurity in broad daylight went into the tent and he went inside that tent and he speared them both through. And it says that Phineas was jealous for the Lord. So biblically, you can have a, a, a positive jealousy. That, that kind of affection could be good. Certainly our Lord, did he not, had a zeal in the temple when he drove the money changers out. That is, a, that is a godly zeal. But here, as you look at the text, in the context of relationships, it's negative because attached to the word jealousy is the word bitter. Bikron is the word. It's a sinful zeal. It's the word that was used back, look, in 3.11, where it says, does a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and then The ESV says, and salt water. It's the ideal of fresh and bitter water. So here is a bitter jealousy. In fact, what the Word of God is saying is, this is what will ruin your relationships. This is what gives, if you will, a worldly wisdom. This is what destroys homes. This is what destroys churches. This is what destroys believers and marriages. It's when you are monitored By this, by a bitter jealousy. You say, well, what is jealousy? I think you know what jealousy is. It's just you cannot bear another's success. That's jealousy. Jealousy is a desire to possess things. It is a desire to possess opportunities that are not ours. It is a desire to take something that is not ours. I mean, you could be jealous of somebody's athletic ability. Jealous of someone's um, musical ability. Jealous of someone's position. In fact, another word for jealous, it's real close, is the word envious. And here, bitter jealousy is going to poison relationships. It's envious of other people and envious of what other people have been blessed with. I mean, it can be like a root that grows up in a person's life and poisons the whole attitude of an individual. 
I I think Spurgeon got it right when he said self-love, he said, is no doubt the usual foundation of human jealousy. He said, the fear lest another should by any means supplant us. It is, it's a jealous, bitter spirit. And I'm thinking there's is all over the word of God. I'm thinking in the book of Acts in chapter 5, verse 17, when it said that the high priest rose up along with all of his associates and they were filled with jealousy. And whenever you see that word filled, they're dominated. So just as we would say, be filled with the spirit, those high priests, And the associates of those high priests in Acts 5.17 were filled, dominated, if you will, by jealousy. As the apostles were preaching in the book of Acts chapter 13, it said the next Sabbath, nearly the whole city, imagine this, assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews, it says, saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy jealousy, and they begin to contradict the things spoken by Paul. I mean, jealousy is a green sickness, if you will. In fact, I'm thinking of Paul in Romans 13, 13, where he exhorted you and I in this way. He said, let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy. So jealousy is mentioned all over the scripture. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 3, for you are still fleshly, he said to them. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshy? I mean, there was just jealousy filled within that Corinthian church. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter, you know, and the real spiritual one said, I'm of Christ, and they pitted one against another, and there were factions, and there were divisions, and there was jealousy. So as we talk about the world's wisdom, it's characterized by this bitter jealousy. Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 12, 20, he said, I'm afraid that perhaps when I come, I may find you not to be what I wish, and yet you may be, found, and may be found in you to be not what you wish, speaking of himself, that perhaps, Paul said, there will be strife and jealousy and angry tempers and disputes and slanders and gossip and arrogance and disturbances. But he mentions there strife and jealousy. So listen. As you think of your relationships, this gets in the way of people, doesn't it? No wonder James said there in 4.1, what causes or what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? He says, is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And, and, And this is one of those passions that can get in the way. You could be jealous of another person's possessions. You could be jealous of another person's wealth. You could be greedy. You could covet. You could be jealous of another person's position, another person's placement, another person's job or their advancements, or another person's authority, or their power, or their leadership, or their recognition, or their praise, or their prestige. Or jealous over another's abilities and talents and skills and success. And it could begin to dominate you. 
You can be jealous over a person's intelligence, a person's logic, a person's knowledge, a person's personality, a person's you know, social standing. You could be jealous over their loyalties, over their devotions, over their attachments, over their age, their youth, their maturity, their experience. You could be jealous over another person's looks, their appearances, their beauty, their health, their clothes, their style, their sophistication, their opportunities, their advantages, you name it. And it could become a green sickness that gets in you. And I promise you, it will spoil every relationship you're in. The story is told of two men who lived in a city. One was envious. The other was covetous. And the ruler of the city sent for them, and he said that he wanted to grant them one wish each with the provision that the one who chose first would would get exactly what he asked for, while the other man would get exactly twice what the first had asked for himself. And the envious man was ordered to choose first. But immediately he found himself in a quandary, if you will. He wanted to choose something great for himself, but he realized if he did so, the other would get twice as much as he did. So he thought for a while, and then he asked for this, that one of his eyes should be put out. That's a jealous man, right? You just don't want somebody else to succeed. And he did what he, he thought he should do out of the sinfulness of his heart. Listen, if, if, if our relationships have this in them, there's going to be chaos. There's going to be disorder. Listen, all you have to know is this, that the deeds of the flesh, in fact, can you want to see them? Look over just in Galatians for a moment. Look over at Galatians, turning your Bible there. And, and I think you're well aware of the fruit of the Spirit that we often quote in chapter 5, in verse 22, that it's love, joy, peace, patience. You know that. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, as I mentioned in 523, is the word gentleness. That's the word for meekness. But one of the deeds of the flesh, have you seen these? Where it says in 19, the works of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Verse 20, idolatry, slavery, enmity, strife, and what does it say? Jealousy. That's a deed of the flesh. I think the writer of Hebrews would say to us, see to it that no one comes short, Hebrews 12, 15, of the grace of God, and that no, you know that verse? Root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. Listen, as a pastor, I know people who have the root of bitterness. You say, well, they're just not believers. Oh, no, no, I I, I think they're believers. But I, I just think they're miserable because a root of bitterness has sprung up and caused trouble. Listen, animosity, anger, bitterness, jealousy often blinds the bitter person from their error. Others see it, but they cannot. And what jealousy does is resent and reject any who threaten their space. Now, arriving out of this bitter jealousy, 
one can become selfishly ambitious. Look back to James now. There's just the second characterization, okay? The second characterization of worldly wisdom. First is bitter jealousy. Then he mentions this one, and selfish ambition. Say, well, what's that? Well, the word just means one who promotes his own cause for his own personal advantage. I know a lot of guys in ministry who are selfishly ambitious. I think they're either... They seem to be promoting the Lord, but the lot they're promoting themselves. And by the way, if you think that I'm giving these and, you know, I live in some ivory tower, I think these things are manifested as much of men in ministry that I've seen as much as in the world. See, somebody who's selfishly ambitious is a self-seeking attitude bent on gaining an advantage for themselves. And what this selfish ambition does in our relationships, if you're not filled with the Spirit, it creates rivalries, it creates hostility, it creates antagonism, it's always embroiled in a conflict and competition, and this is what can happen in some homes. I mean, this is tragic in a home. It's tragic at work. It's tragic in a church body. It's horrible in church leadership and on a church staff. But you just pray that the unity that we have now continues, right? Pray that our relationships stay holy and pure. John Blanchard, the British theologian, said, a man who is usually concerned with the demotion of others is usually concerned with the promotion of himself. I think that's right. In fact, this word, do you see that word there in the one we're studying in 3.14, selfish ambition? That word was used in other places in the scripture of a politician who was in it for personal gain. In fact, this word, just like jealousy, is one of the deeds of the flesh. When it lists those deeds of the flesh that we just looked at, it says enmities, strife, jealousy. This is the word here, selfish ambition, in Galatians 5.20 that speaks of strife. Listen, GCV, be careful of self-promotion. Be careful of a lobbying spirit to succeed. Be careful of plotting and scheming to gain an advantage. I'm, I'm thinking of Paul, even in the context of ministry. You remember that one in Philippians where he said, some to be sure are preaching Christ from rivalry. That's our word. They're preaching Christ from strife is the thought. Some from goodwill, the later do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. He said the former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, out of selfish ambition, rather than from pure motives. Do you remember when Paul said this in Philippians 2? Do nothing from what? Selfishness. Do nothing, he said, at least in the NASB, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, right? But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. The ESV actually says, do nothing from rivalry. I mean, listen, if, if, if your home and your workplace and our church is going to have this kind of unity, then we're going to need to have the wisdom that comes from above, That wisdom here is not marked by worldly wisdom. And again, I don't think he's talking to unbelievers here. I think he's talking about people who claim Christ as he is through the whole book. I mean, think, it was through the selfish, ambitious, jealous spirit that Satan fell. 
It was through jealousy and envy that Cain murdered Abel. It was envy, jealousy that drove Haman to erect what was to prove to be his own scaffold. It was because of envy, it was because of jealousy that the religious leaders delivered Jesus to Pilate. Paul would say to us in Galatians 5.15, if you, you know this one, bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not what? Consumed by one another. If your relationships are unhealthy, you just got to pray. You say, well, I'm a believer. Well, Well, James would say, who's wise in here? Who's really got understanding? Who's got practical Christian living? Who has understanding of an expert? Then then show it in your deeds and in your behavior with the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, Paul would say in Galatians, if you bite and devour one another, watch out lest you'll be consumed by one another. Lou Priola, Priolo, a biblical counselor, He just said this, just totally right on. He said, I can tell you, he said, without any fear of contradiction or oversimplification, he said that the root cause of all marriage conflict is selfishness. He said that selfishness is at the heart of all marriage problems. End of quote. Well said. See, well, Scott, where, where, does, where does this stuff come from? I, I, I can be that way. Maybe you're, you're, you're looking at it, and, and I have to examine my heart, and I had to examine my heart this way. Where does it come from? Well, I can tell you. Look back in the Scripture. He says there in 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your, what? Hearts. It's inside you. It's not the other person. I mean, maybe you've heard it said that the heart of man's problem is the problem of man's heart. That's true. Jesus would affirm that. He said, you know that in Matthew 5, 19 and 20, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, slander. Jesus said, these defile the man. Listen, worldly wisdom destroys unity. It dampens love. It brings confusion. It leads to divorce. It leads to lawsuits. It leads to fights. It leads to wars. I was reading through Ken Sandy's book last night on the peacemaker, who's a lawyer who's given himself to reconciliation of churches, individuals, and business. And he's got a full-time ministry just putting believers back together. But listen, when... Selfishness enters the family when it enters into the church circle. Then confusion and disorder set in and the kind of tension diminishes our witness for Christ. Listen, GCV family, I just plead with you to pursue the good of the body and the whole of the body, not your own selfish ambitions. I think Barclay said it right. Listen to what the commentator William Barclay said. He said this of worldly wisdom. Instead of bringing people together, it drives them apart. Instead of producing peace, it produces strife. Instead of producing fellowship, it produces disruption in relationships. 
He said, there is the kind of person who is undoubtedly clever. He or she has an acute brain and a skill, skillful tongue, but the effect in any committee, in any church, in any group, in any home is to cause trouble, to drive people apart, to foment strife, to disturb personal relationships. Barclay said, it is a sobering thing to remember that what man possesses is devilish rather than divine, and that such a man or woman is engaged in Satan works, in Satan's work, and not in God's work. And so listen, if you have this as part of your life, look what James says in verse 14. He says, if, there, if that's in your heart, he said, do not boast, verse 14, and be false to the truth. It's really a double negative. Stop being arrogant, is the thought, and stop lying. If you really have wisdom, then show it. But if you're motivated by pride and by self-centeredness, then you clearly do not have the wisdom of God that comes from above. Listen, behind all division is usually a story of jealousy and selfish ambition. And if you're motivated by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, James says, stop boasting and lying about your supposed wisdom. In other words, by your attitudes, by your actions, you're spurning the truth of the gospel, which you profess to promote and believe. He said such earthly wisdom is bogus. In fact, look what he said at verse 15. He said, this is not, you understand, the wisdom that comes down from above. The wisdom that comes down from above. Remember, look back in James 1.17. Remember what he said there? He said in 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. God only gives good, perfect gifts. He gives in 1.5 wisdom when you ask Him. But James says now in 3.15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Look on in verse 15. He says, it is earthly. It is earthly. That's the third characteristic. In other words, that kind of selfish ambition, jealousy, is earthly. You say, what do you mean? He just means here, its sphere of operation is not heavenly, it's earthly. It's worldly, is the thought. Its origin is of the earth. In fact, when Paul rebuked the Corinthians, he made it very clear that there was a distinction in Corinthians in 120, where he talked about the wisdom of the world in 120, then he talked about the wisdom of God. This here, that kind of attitude is earthly. In fact, Paul spoke of this in Philippians when he was talking about the enemies of the cross and the enemies of the cross set their mind, he said there, on earthly things. In other words, that type of wisdom, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, doesn't come from above. No, he just says here, it's earthbound. It doesn't have anything to do with the Spirit of God. It doesn't have anything to do with the filling of the Spirit. It doesn't have anything to do with a heavenly wisdom. But look, it's not only earthly. Look what else he said in verse 15. He said, it is not from above, it's earthly. And then he uses this word, unspiritual. We might even use, well, it's the word psychikos, and it's the word fleshly. And so here we translate it unspiritual. And whatever's unspiritual is often set against or opposed to that which is spiritual. But when your relationships are governed by this, 
then it's earthly, and here it's unspiritual. Paul used that term in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, when he talked about the natural man. That, that, that's an unbelieving man. He's, he's the natural man. It's not the spiritual man. It's the natural man does not accept, Paul said there, the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So there he uses that word to speak of the natural man in a very same way Jude, when he's writing of the false teachers, says of the false teachers in Jude 19, they are the ones, he said, who cause divisions. They're worldly-minded and devoid of the Spirit. That's the word, worldly-minded. In other words, it has to do with that part of man, one writer said, where human feeling and human reason reign supreme. And I know some people who claim Christ and they live off human feeling. And they live off human reason. And they are bickering and backbiting and in arguments and in conflict in virtually every single relationship in which they are in. See, when, when you look back at those other verses, unbelieving man cannot appraise things spiritually. He is, the unbelieving man, like a blind man going into an art gallery. He can't see it. It would be like a deaf man at a symphony. But here what's, what's scary is that even a believer can be corrupted with worldly wisdom and filled with bitter jealousy, selfish ambition that is earthly, unspiritual. And look, there's one final characteristic. Look at it in verse 15. Do you see that? It's demonic. Now, what do you mean demonic? Are you saying people are possessed? No, I'm not saying they're possessed. Literally, they're demoniacal is the thought. Demoniacal is, is, is the ideal of the word. In other words, not only does an uncontrolled tongue back in James 3 have a direct pipeline to hell, but even as we speak, if you're not walking in the Spirit, worldly wisdom has as its source demonically inspired thoughts and methodologies. Scary isn't it? I mean, Peter, out of his mouth one time, said, thou art the Son of God. And in the next minute, Jesus said, get behind me, what? Satan. I mean, and there's that thought with our tongue. We can be praising God, and then we can be ripping a person apart. We cannot have the wisdom that comes from above. In fact, you know what's scary? The first time, fair, that the word wise ever appears in the Scripture is when the devil tempted Eve in the what? In the garden. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one what? Wise. Negative way. Then she took from its fruit and ate. Let, listen to what Kistemaker said. He said, when the devil speaks the lie, it is bad. When he uses the world to purpose perpetrate the lie it is worse he said but when the members of the church become his instruments to spread devilish wisdom it is the worst of all situations and kiss the maker said james leaves the impression that the devil employed some of the members of the church pretty scary some of you have been <laughs> I, I, I you've been on bad boards in fact, frankly, some of you might even be just a little burned out 
Because if what you experienced is what you've experienced, then, you, man, you, you, you're a little afraid because you might have been in stuff that far from it being the meekness of wisdom. It was characterized by a lobbying political spirit for somebody to get their own way. This could, this could ruin a church. Listen, I've, I've, seen, uh, I've seen churches taken down by one family. I've, been, I've, I've had friends pastoring churches of 1,500, 2,000, traced back to one family gossiping about the leadership. It's frightening. It's frightening, and, and that's a ch- big church. What about your home if you're not careful, if the kids aren't careful? So look what he says in 3.16. He said, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be, what? You can see it, disorder and every vile practice, it says. And so from the characterization of worldly wisdom, it leads here just briefly to the confusion of worldly wisdom. You say, well, what does it produce? Well, you can see it there. It produces disorder. Do you remember in 1.8, the double-minded man was unstable in all his ways? The word unstable is the word for disorder. Listen, when you have that kind of worldly wisdom, it's going to produce confusion. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, God is not the author of confusion. But when you have this kind of spirit, you're going to be doing a number on that. It's going to produce bickering, backbiting, confusion, chaos, and disorder will set in. Some people believe that word is used for anarchy. And so here, this is not the work of God. It is divisively envious, selfishly ambitious, arrogantly boastful, and outwardly deceitful. You say, well, Scott, what does the wisdom of God look like? Well, you got to come back next week, okay?